We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy for you to create your stunning website. Go to Wix.com and create your website today. It's easy and free. That's Wix.com. Welcome to the Roto-Wire Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. As always, you can use that promo code ROTOHOOPS, R-O-T-O, 
H-O-O-P-S, all one word. When you deposit on DraftKings, it'll get you a free contest entry today with your first deposit. All right, it is Thursday, January 7th, the year 2016. Nick Whalen here, as I always am, on Thursdays with James Anderson. James, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you just got some financial advice, I believe. So I now, did. Now I, just, I just got a bunch of... A little bit. <laughs> I met with our, uh, our financial advisor who came into the office just before we recorded, uh, paid a surprise visit from said financial advisor, and <laughs> I can tell you I know absolutely nothing about anything to do with finance, and this, basically the, this meeting like brought me back to my nightmares of freshman year econ 101 uh, up at the social sciences building on the campus of UW-Madison, and that was probably the worst class I ever took throughout <laughs> throughout college. And there were a couple doozies freshman and sophomore year, but that one was the worst. And there were like three or four times during this meeting, we won't talk too much about it, that I, that I think I asked questions that, that elicited a couple looks from the financial yeah, yeah. guy who was just like, what the hell are my, you talking my, about? Uh, my move in, in meetings like that is to just like <laughs> nod my head and just like try to portray like a look like i i totally know what i'm right. talking about but not like say anything stupid just I, like, I think alone. i thought i knew a little bit about like what the stock market was but i i think i misinterpreted a couple terms along the way <laughs> and uh and yeah i mean it, i'm glad we i'm glad there are people in the world that understand things like that uh because i don't at all all right well let's let's dig into some nba let's um, first of all i wanted to ask you there's some big news 30 for 30 espn <laughs> Uh, they they announce at least some of their new documentaries coming out for I guess this is the third or fourth season if you want to call it that as they continue to roll out more excellent documentaries. The first one of uh, this season is going to be on the '85 Bears, which is going to be cool. I'm sure that'll be a lot of fun. But there is one that pertains to the NBA, and that's going to be about the '90s Magic, and it's pretty ill or loosely defined, I should say, for now. Not not a ton of details, but it's going to be executive produced by Shaq and Penny. Uh, and what executive produce means, we're not really sure. Um, but either way, it means that these guys are definitely going to be big parts of the documentary. And I know you're a big Penny guy. Is he your favorite NBA player of all time? Yeah. And is that 90s Magic team or, you know, the mid-90s, is that like your favorite era of, of basketball for one certain team? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's tough because that team was – I mean, that's why they're doing a documentary on it. It's such a – kind of crazy situation because that team was cut way too short like in terms of the run they had so you know for for probably two two years there they were probably my my favorite team uh, my favorite two-year run a team has ever had or, or my favorite team to watch for a two-year run I should say but yeah I mean I think uh you know Penny in his in his prime or you could even say like he might have been pre- what should have been his prime like in in his rookie year and in his second year uh just kind of a crazy player to watch i don't think we've ever really seen anything quite like that uh since then and of course Shaq, you know skinny Shaq, like completely dominant uh Shaq was was great to watch as well yeah i kind of missed that that era of, of orlando magic basketball unfortunately I, I got into the magic when t-mac was there so what was that like 2001 and the supporting cast was was not quite the same that it was during the the Penny days. I'm, I'm trying to think who's even on that, that roster. Year. Like Dennis Scott had like one of the greatest three point shooting seasons of all time that year. Like he had like mo- like three pointers in a season. Like he was like still like 
I don't know if he was first or second or third all time, but that record stood forever until until two hundred sixty seven made threes, shot forty three percent from three. That was in ninety five, ninety six. Like that's way before like teams were using the three pointer that way, and like the the fact that a guy back then had a record in three pointers that has stood. I don't even know if it's been broken yet. I know Steph Curry's going to obliterate it this year. But Curry's got the record. Does he? Ha- did he set it last year? I believe so. Let me. I'm trying to find the. Because like that, that Curry I, definitely has that. Though. Okay, because because Scott had it for like a long time. Like he had it until until at least a, a few years ago. So like that's that's kind of crazy. I mean that's uh, definitely separated them from from the pack. Right. Uh, Curry then. Curry has the top two right now. So Curry last season fourteen fifteen had two hundred eighty six. He's going to obliterate that this year. He had two hundred seventy two in twenty twelve thirteen. Ray Allen had two hundred sixty nine in oh five oh six. But yeah, Dennis Scott. 267 and 95 96 so there was a a 10-year gap before ray allen broke that where i would assume no one really got overly close right so yeah i mean that's that's a pretty solid third wheel to have especially considering i mean the pieces they had in in check and penny uh penny you know he could shoot a little bit but not the type of guy you want to take have taking five or six threes a game so scott worked perfectly nick anderson was awesome until he gagged in that finals uh, you know, a lot of supporting pieces uh, to go with that squad. So Brian Shaw was on that team. You so. never really think of Dennis Scott as like an all-time great three-point shooter. At least I don't. And then look at the numbers. I mean, he's made more three-pointers in a single season than guys like Peja Stoyakovich, mm-hmm. uh, Ray, or uh, I think Reggie Miller, Quinn that, Richardson, Rashard Lewis. I think it's because Scott's like peak was so short. Like I think he, I, I don't remember how long he was doing stuff like that, but I. I don't think it was for more than a, a two or three year run so that's that's kind of why i think he gets forgotten record for three-point attempts in the season is george mcleod hey. i don't know who that is um <laughs> 95 96 dallas uh antoine walker jumps into the top five despite, despite not being in the top 20 in made field goals this yes. season he's in the top five in attempts oh hey you know shooters gotta shoot he attempted like thirty more three pointers in one season than Curry did last season. I, I don't know. I don't want to get into the Antoine Walker advanced three point stats. Uh, that, that's a story for another pod. But we'll talk a little bit about a couple of the storylines from Wednesday night. Wednesday always a big night in the NBA as far as large slates of games. A pretty ugly slate on Thursday night. Uh, Jazz Rockets about the only intriguing game on the schedule. I guess Bulls Celtics, but Boston's kind of fallen off of late. But Kyrie Irving, I think, is officially, officially back. And he was maybe officially back last week, but probably his best game uh, to date as he goes 14 of 22 from the field last night, 32 points, five rebounds, three assists, two steals, outdueling John Wall, who finished with 20 and 12 for Washington. Um, I mean, when Kyrie's back and when he's playing like this, is this team you know, right up there with the Warriors and the Spurs, or are they still you know, one tier below maybe with the Thunder? Uh, I don't, I would still pick them to lose in five or six to either the Spurs or the Warriors, but I, I definitely think that it's not even close in the East when they're going like this. Like, I I think they could easily maybe lose one or two games on the way to the finals. So this is two games in a row where the opponent, they played Toronto the other night. The opponent has played really well. Washington shot 55% in this game. They hit 14 threes, shot 58%. Uh, you know, from three, 31 assists, 63% from, or that's not great from the line, I guess, but 17 made free throws. Like, usually when you see those numbers, mm-hmm. that team wins the game and they don't, you know, I Cleveland just, scored 121 points in this game. I think Cleveland's, or at least why they're not as 
aesthetically pleasing to me as some of those other teams is that they don't have a five-man unit that I just love the way the pieces all fit together. Like they, they have like seven or eight guys who just by themselves are, are really quality basketball players, but they don't have like that perfect five-man unit that I think they could run out against anyone and have uh, a ton of success with reliably. I mean, I think there's, you know, the fact like if they play the Warriors or they play the Spurs, uh, they're going to run into some serious issues up front with who who are they going to have on the court in those those big possessions at the end of games because uh and this is kind of why I, I was kind of never of the opinion that Kevin Love was like a franchise guy uh not a guy that I would have traded Andrew Wiggins for we're going to get to Wiggins in a second but uh just not a not a franchise guy because the the defense is so lacking that he becomes kind of a a liability on that end and if you are not running your offense through him then like the stuff you're getting on the other end isn't really worth having on the court in certain situations so since Kyrie's been back that that Irving LeBron Love JR and Thompson lineup has an offensive rating of 130.7 and obviously that's a smaller sample size and you know it's, it's only been 65 minutes together but I mean, is that what lineup, you know, we talked about what lineup can they go to in certain situations, and they're a team that's going to have to adjust to, you know, what San Antonio brings and what Golden State brings, whoever they face or whoever they would face in the finals. Are there going to be times where we might see Kyrie Irving on the bench in the fourth quarter for extended stretches because they need Delavadova's defense? No. I I think you could see Kevin Love on the bench yeah. for extended stretches, but I think Kyrie's just – like we saw Ky- before Kyrie got hurt last year – it's it's kind of an effort thing. I mean, it really always is an effort thing on defense. But when he's you know in the in the postseason, he's not really dogging it, especially in a matchup against a guy like Curry. Like he's not going to just let himself get wasted uh, every possession on the other end. So I, I'm fine with having him out there. But uh, yeah, I think and and just the drop off is just so crazy between him and Delavadova offensively that it just doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah, it's it's hard to figure out how they're going to do it. I mean, you look at the the two lineups that have played at least 100 minutes together, uh, the two best five-man lineups in terms of net rating, both belong to Golden State. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're pretty much running into a buzzsaw there as far as the lineups they can throw together. But Cleveland has guys, though. I mean, you have guys like Anderson Vergeau, who you don't want playing big minutes, but this is a guy who, going into last season, they thought would be a huge contributor to this team. Mo Williams, basically been a DMPCD type of guy lately, and you know, who are they bringing off the bench, you know, in the playoffs last year as their backup point guard? Do they really even have one? Uh, the the Cavs? Yeah. Uh, shoot. I mean, I they... Try, like, they had to have somebody, right? But, like, did they... It seemed like it was always Delhi out there. Or LeBron just manning the point, or even... Yeah, that even was, if they went JR handling it sometimes. That was a mess. I mean, I should note, like, when you, when you reference that offensive efficiency of that five-man unit you were talking about for them, I mean, they've played... Uh, the Blazers, the Suns, the Nuggets, right. the Magic, the Raptors, the Wizards. I mean, those are the yep. teams they've played uh, with that unit. So it's not it's not like they've ran into any legitimate teams. Uh, and there's really only a few teams that I think could uh, successfully exploit that. And we're going to talk about some coaches in a minute here. But, I mean, it's not like you're going to be able to exploit that if you're Randy Whitman and the Wizards or, or what have you. 
Right, that's true. But I mean, even even before Kyrie came back, you know, the Love LeBron Delhi lineup, the Delhi Love Thompson lineup uh, was looking pretty good for this team. So, I mean, we'll see we'll see how things end up once you know where they're at, even health wise, going into the playoffs. I mean, it's, we, that's certainly nothing to be taken for granted uh, at this point. Um, but another thing to be concerned about a little bit, at least with this team, and especially if you're looking at it from a fantasy perspective, is Kevin Love pre Kyrie Irving. 17.6 points per game, 10.8 rebounds, 2.7 assists, shooting 43% and taking 14 shots a game. Now, since Kyrie's been back, that's been down to 12.4 points per game. Rebounds been right about the same, 10.3. Uh, one fewer assists per game, 1.8. 39% shooting and taking three fewer shots per game. Um, I mean, this is something had to give, right? I mean, with Kyrie coming back, a guy who's going to take 20 shots on a lot of nights mm-hmm. is just kind of... It kind of by default, some of those are going to come off of love before they're going to come off of a guy like LeBron or even J.R. Smith shooting totals. Yeah, probably too late to trade love in fantasy if you have him, but I I kind of see more of the same going forward. The shooting percentage thing is so odd to me. He's never been a guy who's he's been very inefficient for a power forward. You know, usually you want where do you want a power forward shooting percentage wise? Like minimum of like forty seven, forty eight. Yeah. And this and is a guy, even in Minnesota, you know, when he was at his quote-unquote peak, he was shooting in the mid to low 40s. It, it's, I mean, he's always been pretty overrated, I think. And that's, you know, in Cleveland it hurts because he's not really getting the ball. Like in, in Minnesota, he got the ball wherever he wanted it, like whenever he wanted it. And it's a lot easier to, to put up, you know, solid shooting percentages in that scenario. Whereas here he's kind of getting it in spots that he's not necessarily comfortable working from. And I mean, it's just, it's not a good fit for him. I, yeah, it's gotta, he's gotta have, I'd love to kind of get inside his head and just sort of see where he kind of wishes his NBA career was or where he wishes he was playing right now. Cause I, it's just kind of such a, do you feel like he got like bullied into staying in Cleveland almost? I don't know. I don't have any information on this. Obviously, I, I'm just. It just seemed to me like he was kind of challenged by by LeBron and and you know this organization almost to say like you know last year wasn't great for you, but you're just gonna ditch on us. You know, like you got an opportunity to win a title yeah. here, you should probably come back. And then it seemed like he was all you know, oh yeah, I'm locked in, I'm ready to go. But like, what is where are the indications that like he's actually really happy with his position? No, yeah, I mean I. I just don't think he, you know, it would have sort of seemed like he was a quitter. Um, I it would have seemed like in. he didn't want to, he didn't, like, take winning. Winning wasn't right. the most important thing I to think him. that's what it was, is had he walked away, uh, there would have been that label of he would rather take the money or take right. the, being the number one guy on a bad team. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're that good of a player and you're not, like, he's just not the type of player who strike, like, his game isn't even the type of game that, works as like a supporting guy really i mean like he he needs to be a better defender to be a supporting guy like you have to play d like he he just has that type of game that just screams good numbers bad team yep like and i feel like maybe he didn't want to embrace that as his destiny and i i respect that but it's just not a not a great fit for him to kind of maximize his his basketball skills the one thing he can do is shoot the three though and that's big um, if he couldn't shoot the three and if he was kind of more of like a, an Al Jefferson type of, you know, back down, which basically he would be David Lee if he couldn't shoot the three. And we saw right. what happened to him. He fell out of a championship rotation. But interestingly, I mean, Love's usage is right up there with where it was during his, his first all-star season in Minnesota. That's kind of surprising to me. It's up a couple points over last season. So they're definitely making a concerted effort to get him the ball. But when I, I watch Cleveland as much as anybody other than Milwaukee, and it just – 
he doesn't seem dominant. He see he gets a lot of like you know post touches that kind of end in like weak you know weak moves where he just doesn't seem like he has the same kind of savviness in the post, the same kind of confidence in the post, and it I don't know. He's he just kind of feels like the the Chris Bosh role for this team, but he doesn't play nearly as good a defense as Chris Bosh. He's not as versatile as Bosh defensively. And I think he, he kind of looks for the three ball more than Bosch ever did. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we've kind of covered Love's inefficiencies. Right. I mean, he's just kind of a – he's become a role player, and it's not – I mean, he he doesn't scare you when you play the, the Cavs on a night-to-night basis. Right. The nice thing is he's like he, – they can, they can win without him. They kind of showed that last year. And even if he plays a minor role for them, you know, come playoff time, come finals time, like – He's still a guy that you don't mind having, you know, as a weapon. Even if you end up having to play Tristan Thompson in a lot of spots, you know, having Kevin Love for twenty to twenty-five minutes is a pretty damn good luxury. Um, let's talk Hassan Whiteside. So he he played last night. There were some issues with his knee lately. Doesn't look like it's going to be anything serious. Uh, he played twenty-eight minutes, just eight and eight, which for him is you know about as low of a of a total of combined rebounds and points as you're going to see. Just one block, um, but. Zach Lowe released a new podcast on Thursday morning. Brian Windhorst, uh, ESPN's LeBron reporter, was the guest on that. And he had an interesting quote about Whiteside, somewhat confirming kind of what we already knew or what a lot of people suspected about the situation. But Windhorst said, quote, this is a guy talking about Whiteside who's going to get a MAC contract this summer. He's absolutely not a Heat player. His style of play, his personality, the way he goes about his business is not congruent with the way the Heat normally go about themselves. What exactly does that mean? I mean, is this just kind of the white side really hasn't grown up maybe as much as it looks like on the court? I just think there's a big uh, gap between his stats and his true worth to like a team with championship aspirations. He's obviously got off-the-court issues. I think that that's pretty clear. I mean, you can kind of just kind of guess at what those might be, whether it be you know smoking weed or coming to practice late or not putting forth effort in practice or not uh doing what the coaches are instructing them to do on on a play-to-play basis but all you really have to do is just kind of watch the games to not to see that it's a lot of those block shots are sort of negated by the times he tries to block shots and then exposes the the rim like i mean he'll he'll go up hard trying to block a shot and then uh you know the guy maybe passes to his defense like it comes off his defender trying to protect the rim and then leaves his defender wide open or uh you know goes hard for the block the guy pump fakes and then he's completely out of the play like it's not the block shots aren't the result of him just being an excellent defender they're just him chasing stats so if he's not playing within the scheme that Spoh's trying to run and he's kind of going after his own stats, then that, that's kind of what I think that quote means a little bit. And he's, like, weirdly open about chasing stats, too. Like, and he kind of yeah. – he, he had some quote, like, a, a few weeks back. Somebody asked him about the blocks, and he – something about, like, oh, it's as good as a missed shot or as good as a rebound or something. And it's just like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, this, this is a really good player. Like, we don't mean to take away too much from Whiteside. I mean, he has his faults. I think he – He's not as good when you when you see players who block shots at a high volume, you kind of automatically assume like, oh, he's the best defensive center in the league. He has the highest block rate in league history right now. Um, but like is he actually a good defender or is he a good shot blocker who's an average defender? Yeah, I mean that's that's what I I'm saying. I think he's like average maybe 
if you were to line up the 30 best defensive centers in the league, I'm not sure he'd be in the top 10. Uh, he'd, pre- he'd definitely be in the top 20. But if you're going to you know, have a have a guy go against the Spurs or the Warriors or the Thunder in a in a playoff series. I think that they that he could get exposed for sure. So I mean, I definitely think he's uh, very overrated based on the stats. So Winderman or not Winderman, <laughs> when Horace went on to say, uh, "quote The Heat have a decision to make: Do you ride out the season with Whiteside or do you package him with Luol Deng before the deadline?" And the caveat with Deng being involved is that Whiteside's on a minimum deal. There's no bird rights involved. He's basically a veterans minimum guy or what I don't even know if he qualifies for the full veterans minimum uh being still a young player but he's on a minimum salary so if Miami wants to trade him you know they can't trade him straight up for I mean it's a super far-fetched but like DeMarcus Cousins because DeMarcus Cousins is being paid to his value whereas Whiteside is being paid well below his value so that they would obviously have to attach someone with him unless they're going to trade for basically someone on a rookie contract or a minimum contract if you're the Heat are you comfortable going into the playoffs with Whiteside as one of your, you know, your solidified starters, or do you think you could do better by flipping him somewhere? Uh, well, you don't get to, if you got to make trades like a week before the playoffs. I think that that would maybe be. Uh, I, I guess at that point they would have lost kind of all leverage because he's going to be a free agent. But I, I think they could use him, or at least use a player that's significantly better than Chris Anderson which he is uh for the rest of the regular season and I think that he could come in handy against uh, a team like the Bulls if they ran into them in the postseason I think he'd be uh pretty useful maybe against uh a team like the the Raptors or the Pistons but I think that they should be worried about beating the Cavs and then trying to contend against the teams in the West and I think that their best lineup against those teams is is Bosch at center for you know at least twenty twenty five minutes of the game, and in that case, I don't think they they really need him to to win a title. But I I wonder where they would look to to possibly move him. I know on that podcast, Windhorse threw out the idea of of the Pelicans uh, sending Ryan Anderson to the Heat in exchange for Dang and. And uh, Whiteside, and I don't really see why that would appeal to the Pelicans at all because even the Heat, like they have Josh McRoberts. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have. I think I'd rather have Ryan Anderson than than Whiteside. Dang, maybe I, I, it's debatable, but I, I definitely don't see why the the Pelicans would do it because you're not contending this year, so it doesn't really matter if you get Whiteside. You're going to have Whiteside hanging out with Anthony Davis you're I mean that's the just, that's the real there's no there. real reason for that for them no to that's do that. that that's a team the Whiteside thing you don't trade for Hassan Whiteside unless you somehow get some sort of commitment that he's going to re-sign mm-hmm. with you and I don't know I don't see that being realistic or you have to be a contender because this is a guy who's on an expiring deal he's going to hit the open market and there are going to be teams who will max him out that's that's a given so if you're if you want to get him as a half season rental that's great but you know, I, you also have. I don't think he's going to get dealt just because I don't see a team that's going to try to get him. Because... I don't know though, because Miami Miami doesn't really have a huge incentive to keep him unless they're going for it this year, which which they are. I mean, they're they're a quote unquote contender in the East, depending on what you think about 
Cleveland and whether or not they're beatable by an East team. But but if you're trading him, you're, if you're trading Whiteside, it's got to be to a team that's also contending this year, right? And, that's, and I don't see them making a trade with like a team like the Pacers or the Hawks because it's like are those are those teams that close in the East gonna I, gonna swap parts? I, I just don't think that. I don't know. Though. I much. think I think Miami. If you're Miami, like you kind of want to get rid of him, right? Because yeah. you're saying like. You either but, think you have such a good chance this year, and he's such a big part of that that you keep him. But like, if you can flip him and get somebody who you can either, you know, use as a as an asset going forward, whether you want them as part of your team or as a possible trade type of asset, because you can't trade Whiteside after the deadline, you know, that's great. But what you could also do is you know try to get like a Whiteside for Whiteside and Dang for like Al Horford, who could be on your team for the next two or three years. You seriously think the Hawks would do that? No, I don't think they would. But I, I think I don't I, think that's think like a, that's not like a completely ludicrous deal. I think they'd laugh at that phone call. I you mean, think they, so? Yeah, they're they getting depth for I don't one know. for one year of Whiteside and Dang. Like I, I think that that's crazy. I well, okay, but I think it's okay. I don't think I don't think it would happen if I'm the Hawks. I, I wouldn't hang up the phone. I would hang up the phone after like I, a minute. I would of talking I'd, about I'd it. hang it up emphatically, and I'd. Do the thing where you hang it up multiple times. Oh, okay, you hung it up. Uh, whenever, whenever we talk about trade phone calls, I picture that that iconic photo of Joe Dumars on two phones, like, glancing at the camera, like, "Yeah, you caught me." Well, the thing about like the Hawks is like they're kind of in flux too. Like, they're one of their better players, a, a key part of that core, a, a, an all star somehow. Kyle Korver is thirty four, thirty five years old. Al Horford's not getting any younger. I don't, like they're kind of at the point where like if they if they want to go forward with this core. Are they really going to get any better? Like, Paul Millsap's on a short-term deal. He's getting they, close to 30, if not I, already. I think their move is to trade uh, Schroeder. And mm-hmm. and I don't think I don't think they would even consider anything that would disrupt that, that Teague, Millsap, Horford, Corver core because, like, continuity is, like, their greatest strength. Like, once you get rid well, of that, then you just have a bunch of, like, non-top 20 players playing together and trying to figure out how to play with each other. I think that, like, moving Schroeder at least could get you – that that fifth piece in your starting lineup that gives you a, a great five man unit to kind of live or die with in the postseason, but moving sure. Horford and bringing in a guy with all of Whiteside's baggage, like Luol Deng's, he's I mean he's not done, but he's not going to get you over the hump, and I think that that just risks kind of ruining uh, the continuity you have uh, with your starting five. So if I was them, I, I agree that they're not going to contend with their current roster, but I think the only real way to to improve this group while not risking making it significantly worse is to move Schroeder or maybe a draft pick and try to get, uh, you know, one great, you know, small forward shooting guard type to, to add to that lineup. Yeah, I don't know. I think Atlanta is just – the presence of LeBron in Cleveland and what that means for the rest of the East, it presents such a big challenge that it's not enough to just have your continuity and, like, you're you're aiming to knock off one team for the next four or five years. And, like, what Atlanta has right now isn't going to be close. Well, I I would I think, argue that their ceiling is greater right now than it is with Whiteside and Dang if they lose Horford personally. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. That, maybe that was a bad example. I just think I think teams. Basically, my point overall is that I think teams are maybe going to be willing to take more of those type of risks because it's like, well, we're either beating the Cavs or we're not getting anywhere. You know, yeah. it's like you you basically need to say like we need to do something because being the two through eight seed just means we're going to get knocked off by this team every year and like you know we we need to shake things up or there's not going to be any chance of getting where we want to be yeah no i mean i i get it i just don't think white side's really all that appealing to teams that are 
Like, if it'd be one thing, I, I think the Heat would still be willing to move him if he had like three years left on his deal. I, I think they'd be shopping him pretty aggressively. And in that case, I think they'd have a ton of buyers because like teams like, you know, the Nets or whoever, like the, the Wizards, the, the Nuggets, like tons of teams that aren't contending. Uh, would would roll the dice on him if they could keep him next year. But the fact that his contract expires this year, I don't think there's any contenders that are a good fit in that in that trade nah, market. Not right? really. I mean, you look at like Indiana or something, the teams that need front court guys. But what I mean, what would they have to send back that, right. that Miami would be into? Um, before we move on quickly, the second NBA All Star ballots just returned uh, within the last like five minutes here as we record. LeBron still on top in the front court in the East. Paul George and Andre Drummond still two and three. I believe that's how it was on the first return as well. Kobe Bryant has three hundred thousand more votes than anyone else now, up to one point two million. Uh, so he's going to be starting. He has he's basically doubled up KD uh, in the Western Conference front court. Draymond Green though jumps up i think blake griffin was in there initially griffin mm-hmm. obviously hasn't played in a couple of weeks he's down at number five so bryant durant and draymond are the top three in the west front court Kawhi, though just two thousand behind draymond green and blake griffin still fairly close about thirty-two thousand back which sounds like a lot but really isn't that many east guards wade and Kyrie still there kyle lowry closing in on Kyrie though but the way that Kyrie's playing that's going to be a tough a uh, tough battle I, th- I feel like kyle, kyle lowry is going to end up jumping him just because the game's in Toronto and that the Toronto fan base is going to come on strong at the end. That's the the Kyrie versus Lowry thing is the most interesting race, I think. Wade's uh, already got this locked up. I mean, Wade's yeah. basically 300,000 ahead of both, both of those guys. I also uh I also wonder like I'm surprised that Wade it, it, what are the votes uh Wade versus Blake Griffin? I know they're not competing together but Wade's what are the at 562,000 roughly and Griffin is at 298,000. See like I would have guessed that those two were very close in terms of public popularity and so I guess I'm surprised that they're so far apart. Like Blake just seems like one of those guys that like little kids like and foreigners like and stuff like that. So uh Damn foreigners! I, I look. I mean, they they vote a ton. <laughs> they, they they stack those. Ballots. I don't vote. Do you ever vote for the All Star game? Like <laughs> no. I never. I I like jokingly I voted like for Zaza. The people the people that love the NBA the most and like watch it the most and know the most about it vote the least. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like it's not. Um, I mean, that's why you should never get angry when like someone doesn't get voted to start the game. It's like, well, it's not for you. Like that. Yeah. That's not. Those, you're not the person that's voting. So. Um, yeah, I'm just sort of surprised that that Wade is that much more. Maybe it just speaks to the lack of options in the East and the and the competition Blake has in the West. Uh, but yeah, that Kyrie. Do you have a prediction? You so you think Lowry's going to pass him? I want it to be Kyrie. Uh, I I don't know. I'm a Kyrie sympathizer. I, I love his game, but I think it's going to be Lowry just because the city of Toronto is huge. And I think once that, I think he was actually on some well, podcast recently, and basically I think it might have been Woj or maybe it was Zach Lowe. Um, and he basically said they asked him about that, yeah. and, and he kind of said something like, "Oh yeah, you know, like Toronto, it's always late to the vote. That's what happened last year." Well, and- I I just don't. I think uh, I mean I, it's hard to argue that Kyle Lowry's not more deserving. I mean he's he's gonna have played twice They're as both many deserving. games, but I well are they both <laughs> deserving like to play in the All Star game? Like Kyle Lowry's carrying a team. All season long, Kyrie Irving's played like less than ten games so far. Like Patrick Patterson's carrying that I, team. I just think that 
I, I think Lowry's more deserving, but I'd yeah. rather see Kyrie just because Kyrie's the type of player that can put on a show in a game like that. If Kyrie doesn't get in, will he be picked by the coaches? Do you think they might hold the game's played number against him? Because Lowry, if Lowry doesn't get in, he'll get picked by the coaches, like, no question. Yeah. But Kyrie, I don't know. Uh, so it would be the... I, I'll say he gets in by the from the coaches. I uh, just think that they're going to look at the Cavs and how much better they are than everyone else in the East, and they're going to have no problem yeah. throwing. Because it's not like anyone other than LeBron's going to get in if Kyrie doesn't. So I think that they'd be fine having him be the second Cav in. Yeah, that, that's the other that. thing. Is like <clears throat> the, the Cavs record wise are going to be so good that like Kevin Love's probably not going to get in. So no. it's like it's it's yeah. either a Pachulia or Pachulia. <laughs> Pachulia, it's Kyrie, either, it's whatever. either Pachulia or Kyrie. Like one, it's going to come down to those. Pachulia is not even on the. He's not even on the returns. How is he not top fifteen? Wow, man, this is, is, there, is there like another category? Front court, back court. Must I don't a, see. Must I, be a typo. Yeah, I don't. <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I think they they misspelled Zaza Pachulia as Kawhi Leonard. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about coaches. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is something that you talked about last night. Is something we've we've been kind of wanting to touch on on the podcast for a while. But basically, we just want to go through and rank our top ten coaches and then our bottom five coaches. Yes. Uh, which one do you want to start with? Uh, how about we do bottom five really quick, and then I think we gotta we'll take a break. We gotta take a take a quick break. So let's let's try to get through the top five here or the bottom five. Bottom five. All right. Uh, so who's your bottom one? I think like these might match up more. It's this is more fun. I think than the top than the top ten. Uh. Byron Scott, bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel for me. Uh, controversial, I know, but very. The only case you can make that Byron Scott isn't bottom one is that everything he's doing is basically exactly what he's being told to do by management slash Kobe Bryant, who's also a, a hand of management. So uh, that would be the case in support of Byron Scott only being the 29th best coach. Uh, but I just think we, we've seen enough, like the fact that he's playing Nick Young and Lou Williams minutes, like is kind of insane. Cause it's like, it's very insane. You're, I get like, I'm fine with him playing Kobe like 32 minutes a game or whatever, because it's, you know, that's what the people want to see. Uh, but you got to play Clarkston and D'Angelo Russell. Like you could still play those two 30 minutes a game as well with Kobe. If, if you're not playing Lou Williams and, and Nick Young, Nick they're, Young, they're not tough play. enough to play. Nick Young should not play like period. Like he, he's a complete, how is, yeah. How is he like tough enough to play? But like, like Julius Randle is just not Nick Young is like, he might be like the worst, like pure basketball player like in Watch the league it. In, ter- in terms of Watch like it. wins and losses like no. uh i mean it it's just it, he's he's so bad he shouldn't be playing um my that's what you have to for bottom bottom coach his nickname nick young's nickname on on basketball reference other than swaggy p is bean burrito ah do we know anything about that don't know anything about that uh, but yeah byron scott is my my lowest i think uh, i think this is has there ever been a time like this where there's like one coach who's like so astoundingly bad compared to everyone else? Like, mm-hmm. not that I can really remember. Like, usually there's you know there's always like two or three that you don't love, but like he is like solidifying himself as yes. the worst coach yes. in the league. Uh, and speaking of coaches who hate three pointers, uh, Sam Mitchell's my second worst. Yep, and um, he's he's my second worst as well. I think most people would probably agree with that. He's. It's it's kind of crazy because you could make a case that like the Lakers and the T Wolves have maybe two or uh, top 
top three collections of like young talent on their rosters right now in the league. Uh, talent that needs to be developed and coached up, and yet they are giving, they're trusting those duties to the two worst coaches in the league. So that's that's not very encouraging. It is not. Um, so who's your third worst? This, this is where this, it gets a little interesting. I know. I don't. I, there, there's two clear ones, and then after that, it's it's kind of subjective. So I felt like the bottom five was very clear, but ordering yes, uh, twenty six through twenty eight was tough for me. I I said the third worst is Randy Whitman. So did I. Oh, nice. No way. I think that was kind of low hanging <laughs> fruit too. I don't like Whitman got a lot of credit in the postseason last year for allegedly stashing his like Paul Pierce at the four yeah. offense into no. the playoffs. No, no, no. no I don't know. No, and no, then no, all no, of a sudden no. they come back this year and they're playing like <laughs> they flipped their style on its head and it hasn't worked out and they've had a ton of injuries. I know, but fifteen and eighteen for this team. Um, but I mean, I, I think he's he's just a guy that. Like I think his his winning percentage as a coach for his career is below 400, and he's got winning seasons turned in in the last three years. So like even those seasons haven't been able to push that winning percentage uh, to above 400. So um, just kind of a guy that happened to be the coach of John Wall's team in the East when the East was about as bad as we've ever seen a conference. Uh, the prior three years, it's a, it's a lot better now, and we're seeing what the Wizards are capable of when the rest of the conference is pretty solid. So uh, pretty easy to put him in the bottom five. So after Whitman, you know, third worst, then it might become a little interesting. It's get a little dicey now. Because, like, I, I think you can make – for me, it, it was between Derek Fisher and Lionel Hollins for fourth worst and fifth worst in some order. I went Hollins, fourth worst, Fisher, fifth worst. Uh, but I, I don't – I don't think they're necessarily train wrecks. Like I think Holland's situation is interesting because I think he's kind of just mailing it in, and um, I mean that team is not obviously not what he really signed up to be coaching. Uh, Fisher, I don't. I think it's maybe too early to to say that he's a terrible coach, but I, I definitely don't think he's a good coach. I think both Hollins and Fisher probably get fired uh, either this off season or the next off season. But uh, those are the two guys I'm going with. I didn't have Hollins uh, in my bottom five. I think I'm kind of I'm going to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt because of what he was able to do in Memphis for those couple of years, getting you know getting to the conference semis, getting to the first round, getting to the conference finals, um, and, and then even last season, you know, with Brooklyn, this is a team that that got to the playoffs with a pretty underwhelming roster, and <clears throat> their rosters, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is going out of me today. That roster is even worse, um, you know, than it was last season, but. Did you know he coached the Vancouver Grizzlies, by the way? I did not know that. He was the, the coach of the Vancouver Grizzlies in 99-2000. I did know that. They yeah. went 18-42 and 42, uh, in a lockout-shortened year. But, I mean, this is a guy, Lionel Holland's been 51% career-winning percentage. Uh, not great, but also not as bad as some of the guys in this bottom tier. I Well, like, the, I was trying to basically sort of distinguish uh, kind of – I think he's a guy that, like, the game sort of passed him by. Like, I think he was a good coach, Uh five ten years ago sure um, back and i mean he did sort of establish what the grizzlies identity has been for a while now uh with that core but i just think in today's game like i can't see a job where i would be like let's go get lionel hollins for that job like i I just don't i think he's a guy that uh isn't really his coaching style doesn't really work or translate in, in today's game 
I think that's true. Yeah, and I, that's kind of part of the reason that he ended up leaving Memphis or you know the organization more or less parted ways with him. Um, I mean, is there a type of situation that you think he could – because he's still a good coach, right? <clears throat> like, he's not a guy that you say, like, this guy's a bad coach. He just seems to be a little bit out of touch or set in his, in his I ways. I think he's one of the – five worst coaches so i will not okay, <laughs> i mean okay. i ranked him as okay one of my well, five all right. worst. well I, I disagree with that but yeah i mean he's he's certainly not a top 10 coach we'll say that and he's probably not yeah. in the top half but i mean i think he's still a guy that's well respected around the league by by some parties at least and i think there's i mean like would you rather have him i think like coaching a young team i don't know if that's his area necessarily like i don't know if he does a whole lot better than byron scott and i mean byron scott don't get don't get us wrong has set the bar just, I mean, r- unbelievably low with the Lakers. But I, I think Lionel Holland's like the reason that he fit he, with Memphis is a the personnel fit what he wanted to do, and right. b he, I think he I, he does better think, with competent. I don't think you're going to see a personnel situation like Memphis no. open up maybe ever again. That's true. So I I just don't see him as a guy that should be coaching really anymore. okay well i went with Derek fisher uh as my fourth worst and i think you probably have him on your list I, at number yeah five. i said he's at five okay yeah. so i i had george carl at my fifth worst and like he's you know the track record probably you know he's not a bottom five coach in the league but this season i think he might be and he's put in a tough situation but they're like in line, they're like one game back of the eighth seed i mean is that is seven that games just, under with, i know with but, like who i think is maybe the best you know, front court power forward in the league. Um, but I mean, they've never, I, I just, I don't know. I look at that roster and besides cousins, it is, it is kind of a testament to how bad the West is that they're in line. They, they could be in the hunt for playoff berth, but uh, I just, he's, he's won pretty much everywhere he goes. And yeah. I think this is the worst roster he's really ever had. So, so okay. I mean, I, it's not surprising to me that he's under. Yeah, I wasn't super confident in that one. It was hard. It, to it find is another. like this would have been a lot easier to do a year ago because we would have had Scott Brooks in there. You know, I mean, we would have had Jock Vaughn in there. Yep. Uh, Jock the, Vaughn. The NBA has kind of purged itself of most of the really bad coaches. Really bad. There, like, there are bad. There are bad coaches, but like nobody that I felt really comfortable. That, like that's the thing is like I didn't feel great about putting Lionel Hollins or Derek Fisher in the bottom five. Uh, definitely had no problem putting the other three in there, but a year ago this would have been a lot easier. All right, so let's shift now to the top ten coaches. We'll start with number ten, and we'll count. Oh, sure. or, eh, yeah, let's go. Let's count up. I mean, we know who number one is going to be on both of our lists, but who did you have at number ten? I had Dave Yeager. Dave Yeager. Okay, I had him a little bit higher. I went with Terry Stotts at number I ten. Had Terry Stotts at number nine. So, oh really? I have Steve Clifford at number nine. Does Steve Clifford make your list? He does not make my list. Was he close? Uh. He was close. He would have been top 15 for sure, maybe top 12. Um, I, I think he's definitely a good coach. I, I hope that they hang on to him. Uh, just don't really have a track record of him being a good coach in terms of wins and losses yet. Yeah, that's true. I think he's one of those guys that you only hear positive things mm-hmm. about him, whether it's from players or from other coaches around the league. You know, the work ethic, the scheme, and the way that he's been able to kind of play with two different, yeah, two different sets. And you know, last year this was a team that was really good defensively, really bad offensively. This year they're pretty good defensively and really and have really changed the way they play. And it's still it's still working out for them. I mean, they're not in the playoffs right now, but they're right around five hundred. With considering all the injuries, I think that's fine. And he. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a guy that he kind of benefited a little bit from the Michael Kidd-Gilchrist injury because that would have been a that would have put him in a really uh, high de- degree of difficulty coaching spot to try to 
decide what to do there, whether to to use Kid Gokras for his defense or to maybe just take a a radical stance and and play him very limited minutes because of his offensive limitations. Another guy that I actually just left off because he doesn't have the track record of wins and losses uh, for sort of the same reason I left Clifford off was Mike Malone. I sort of considered him as I think he's a good coach, but there's no real proof of it yet in terms of wins and losses. Uh, so yeah, so we had we both had stats in our in our top ten just barely. You have Jaeger in your top ten. I don't have Clifford in mine. At eight, I had Brad Stevens. Down at number eight. Wow, I went I went quite a bit higher on Stevens. I have Dave Jaeger at eight, who, who we briefly touched on. Um, I think. Do you think he Jaeger would have been higher last year? I feel like the the public opinion has has shifted maybe a little bit. I don't know because I think like I think for him to have. That Grizzlies team at nineteen and eighteen, they're they're in line for the sixth seed, which is where they're supposed to be. Uh, he's not getting, you know, has has anyone on that team been better this year than they were last year? Like, I don't think it's false. That's a false yeah. statement. So, like that, the fact that he's keeping this team above five hundred while all of his players are turning in subpar seasons, like that's that seems pretty impressive to me. Yeah, and the two weeks ago, it, you know, the talk of him being fired, it was it seemed like it kind of came down to like a one game playoff for his job, <laughs> and that's kind of cooled off, which which I think we both agree is the right move. Who'd you have at number seven? Uh, I had Stan Van Gundy at number seven. I had Stan Van Gundy as well. Um, um, how much of that is past track record? You know, a guy who's been to a finals with Orlando versus what he's been able to do with this Detroit team. It's just sort of the whole package, I guess. I mean, he's doing. Based on his track record, he's doing exactly what I expected him to do with this Detroit team. Uh, he was a guy that really, you know, he wasn't like D'Antoni level revolutionary in the way that he he changed the way the game's played, but I think he's he's up there, and, and I think a lot of what you see today is because of what he was doing with those Magic teams. He's uh, got a really great vision for, for what he wants to do personnel-wise. I think he, he so far the returns on him being a front office guy and a coach are, are pretty solid. You know, I think he's really done a good job at targeting the right guys to sort of fit that system. I think you look at the, the letting Greg Monroe walk and build around uh, Drummond in the front court has paid off huge dividends. So, you know, I think I think he's just a really good basketball mind, a really good mind in terms of putting together a team. Uh, felt like, to me, uh, spots four through eight could have been in really any order. Uh, so I could have had Stevens higher. I could have had Van Gundy higher. Uh, but just felt a bit more strongly about some other guys. Okay. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I had Stan Van at seven as well. Number six, I went Eric Spolster. Where did you go there? I had Mike Budenholzer for the, the Hawks. I think that he uh, really has – completely maximized the pieces he's been given in Atlanta and we we were talking in the office about I I you don't have buttonholes are on your list at all and that's uh that's the one we disagree like so you have Clifford and I have buttonholes are the rest of our top 10 are all the same just in different order uh buttonholes are kind of sketchy in terms of the way that things transpired with the the GM situation there but uh, coaching wise, I think that he's really solid. I think he's probably the best uh, piece of the Popovich coaching tree, and a guy that can is going to have he's going to have that team 
in the playoffs, I think, pretty much every single year uh, going forward, almost regardless. You think he's ahead of uh, Bucks interim coach Joe Prunty on the Popovich coaching tree? <laughs> pretty, I'm, sure Prunty, I'm sure Prunty's higher up on this list. <laughs> but I went Spolstra. I think – do you have Spolstra on your list? I have him at list? number five. You have it at number five. Yeah. Okay, so, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think there was kind of that – he was kind of in David Blatt territory a little bit when LeBron – you know, came to came to Miami during the start of what was Spolstra's then third year, and you know it was all right. This is a guy who won forty three and then forty seven, but <clears throat> he had Dwayne Wade. Now he gets LeBron and Bosh. He starts winning fifty eight, um, and then he wins forty six in the lockout shortened year, and then sixty six. There's still that kind of lingering question of you know is this is this a product of LeBron and Wade and Bosh being there, or is it Spolstra? And I think it's it's kind of bearing out that. You know, LeBron leaves and they, they become a 37-win team last year. So a ton of it was that. But at the same time, like, the respect for Spolster I don't think has waned, really. Also, the I, I think you can somewhat throw out last year just because you look at that personnel they were deploying last year versus this year. You look at how often Wade was out, uh, Bosch missing. Mid-season huge, I mean, like, there's just the, – what are you going to do with that roster last right. year? I think uh, – I give him so much credit for being the only coach that's ever gotten LeBron to change the way LeBron plays offense. Like he, LeBron's never, uh, you know, LeBron likes to dribble the ball at the at the top of the key and and hold the ball and kind of run run the offense that way. Uh, Spolster got him to kind of change that a little bit. Uh, got him to finally start posting up uh, en route to those those two titles. They they probably uh, should have only won one of those, uh, but the, you know they got they got both of them. Uh, think that he's there's a lot to be maybe desired in the way that he coaches offense uh, in terms of scheming. I think that they they kind of leave some stuff untapped, but defensively, I think he's he's great. I think that. Uh, really good at, at managing minutes and, and rotations and stuff like that. So big fan of Spose. Okay, number five, you revealed that's where you have Spolster. Yeah. I went Steve Kerr at five, and Ooh, he could shade. certainly be higher. Shade. He could certainly be higher, but <laughs> one, we only have a very small sample size, and in that sample size he did win the NBA title. Um, but two, it's it's the same situation you can talk about with the Heat, where he has this incredible collection of players. And, they, you know, the, the – the argument against Kerr is that he hasn't coached the season and they're just as good, if not better. But do you think he's done anything, had anything to do with them being good? Oh, I'm sure he has. I mean, he hasn't been on the sidelines, but he's been at, at most practices from what I understand. I don't know how much he's traveling right now, and it sounds like he should be back soon. But, I mean, you know, there's something to be said for this. I think the burying David Lee and putting Draymond in the starting lineup is probably the best regular season coaching move of the decade like I, I think that that is probably the number one thing I'd point to in terms of why they won the title and why they were so good last year and why they're so good this year uh recognizing Draymond Green his unique abilities and his importance to the team in terms of being on the court and recognizing that David Lee's a player that really doesn't fit in the NBA anymore uh to me, that's that's enough to to put him a little bit higher on the list. But I, I I mean, all these coaches are really really good, and I definitely get the the small sample there. But uh, I'm not going to hold anything about this year against what he did. I think that he laid all the groundwork for this year to be possible. Uh, that was your fifth, right? That was my number. Yeah, that was uh, number five. So at four, I had Frank Vogel. So do I. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of unanimous choices, I guess, for us here. But, yeah, I mean, this one kind of goes without saying. I mean, he's, like, total overachiever, yeah. right? Like, I mean, yeah. last year's team had no business winning as many games as it did. This year's team has no business winning The only as many coach games who's been able to successfully harness right. Lance, Lance Stevenson. Yes. Yes. Uh, they're, five, they're five games back at Cleveland this year. Just, I mean, just looking at can't the talent say. on that team that was Gross. the one seed in the, the East a few years ago, like – how is that team the one seed? Like, it's Paul George, uh, Hibbert, David West, Lance, and George Hill, basically. And that that was the best team in the league for, for most of the year. Like, that's, that's incredible yep. to me. Uh, I mean, they did win the East regular season yeah, at least twice yeah. in a row, right? And their defense has always just been elite, like almost regardless of who the players are. So, uh, you know, big props to him. Definitely, like I said, the – for me, and my next one is I have Steve Kerr at number three. For me, four or five, like Vogel, Spolstra, Bunholzer, Van Gundy, Stevens, I'd, I'm fine with those guys in any order. Uh, but I just definitely think Vogel's done the most with the mm-hmm. least. All right, um, I went Stevens at three. Okay. And, yeah, I guess I'm surprised you have him as low. I know you're high on him as, as a coach overall, and I don't know anyone who isn't. But do you think he just hasn't quite accomplished enough yet? Yeah, I, I just think uh, – I, I think it's easy to kind of fall in love with him as a coach because of how sort of accessible he is in interviews. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that he just, yeah, he just hasn't really accomplished anything. And I think he's done a lot with a little as well, but he hasn't done as much with a little as maybe some of these other guys. Uh, I think he's been given kind of a really tricky roster to manage this year. So I, yep. I don't hold a ton of that against him, but um, you know, I, I'd like to see him X and O with the best in a postseason series, you know, and make adjustments like that in a postseason series. I've never seen him do that. So it was kind of surprising how easily Boston bowed out last year. And it was a good Cavs team, but it was a, a hampered mm-hmm. Cavs team at that, and it still really wasn't a series at all. Um so our top two are gonna be the same then, right? Yeah, you Carlisle, Carlisle two, two, pop one. Pop one. Yep. So Carlisle, I mean eleven eleven postseasons in thirteen years, probably gonna make that twelve out of fourteen this year. And then Pop, I mean, the Bill Belichick of, of the NBA, really, there's no, there's really no parallel. You'd be kind of, it would be insane to put anyone other than Pop at the top. Right. And honestly, I feel the same way about Carlisle at two. Like, I, I think. I think guys like Stevens and Vogel could get there, but Carlisle's body at work. His, and he's just got that ship running so smoothly. Uh, I mean, you look at what he was able to do with Monte Ellis last year, uh, I mean, the fact that he's been able to successfully build an offense around a, a super aging Dirk and have pieces, you know, guys like Jameer Nelson and Devin Harris, Raymond Felton, playing J.J. Well. J. J. Barea, like playing major roles, like won a, won a title with uh, Deshaun Stevenson and, and Jet Terry as like two huge cogs in their backcourt. Uh, I mean, it just, just Deshaun Stevenson, who has an ATM in his living room, like Deshaun Stevenson. That was like Deshaun Stevenson's last relevant has moment ever, in yeah, the I NBA. Like, I think he went he on that. like a month long bender after that title, sure he and, did. and yeah. he's and he's never been heard from again. So, like, uh, just kind of an amazing job, and the fact that he, I would have just loved to have been in the room when the Mavs were debating that Rondo trade last year because yeah. I he did not I, want for hundred percent I. I would refuse to believe that Carlisle signed off on that, and he ended up probably being right there. 
Uh, so well, the, but, I mean, the other thing, just a quick side where I'm not taking anything away from Carlisle, is like, look what Rondo's doing in Sacramento. And like, yeah, there are seven games under 500, but like his numbers are great. He's back to vintage Rondo. Like, do you think part of it was that Carlisle never really put him in positions to succeed, well, whether he liked the trade or not? I just think you can't build your offense to suit Rondo. Like, I mean, he had an offense that was the most efficient offense in the league prior to the Rondo trade. I, I just think he was stubborn in the sense that he was just like, I have such a good thing going here. Yeah. Like, why am I going to change this to accommodate Rondo? Like, it, Well, it's like there's a 20% chance we'll get a lot better. There's a 50% chance we'll get a lot worse. And then we and, saw... And, like, th- I think he just looked at the rest of the pieces on the roster and was like, I mean, th- we're not built to be this, like, defensive you know slow pace juggernaut really i think he 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 just kind of refused to to go that way and i i mean i think that it's it obviously didn't work out and you know i look at carl look at the team right now look at how good they're doing uh relative i mean relative to the rest of the west which has completely fallen off um they're one of the only teams that you know kind of are locks i would say at this point to make the playoffs uh, outside of those kind of elite four at the top there and you look at their roster compared to the teams below them it's not that different i mean talent wise not at all and the big thing that puts carlisle over some of these other guys is one longevity you know stevens and vogel still relatively young but he's won the title and he won it with a team that was historically huge huge underdogs huge underdogs won and historically like like that team compares relatively favorably to some of those pacers teams and they just they couldn't get over the hump like carlisle not only got to the finals he also beat the team that everybody thought was basically unbeatable and he should have like he had the best team in the finals before against the the heat in in 06 and that probably had nothing to do with him and a lot to do with the Dwayne Wade free throw throw they were up 2-0 in that right yeah and like close to going up 3-0 and yeah I mean that Mavs fans are Yep. Never going to live that one down. But. Vividly remember watching those games at a basketball camp in the great city of Stevens Point, ah. Wisconsin. Um, but yeah, we'll finish up with that. We had some more yeah. stuff. I feel like this happens every every week. We we get onto topics and get far too deep into them. But I think this was interesting. Uh, hopefully, listeners yeah, feel hit, the same hit us way. up if you please. Are you listening? Our... Are there listeners? I don't know. Hopefully. Um, but again, we are sponsored by DraftKings. Fantasy football may be winding down, although DraftKings does have Wild Card Weekend and Divisional Weekend. Uh, contest that will be running uh, but either, either way with football season winding down you can get into DFS NBA that's something you can play just about any night um, I think from here on out until the all-star break or other than the all-star break there's at least one or two games every single day uh, until late April so definitely get in on the DFS action at DraftKings that's America's favorite one week fantasy football site you can win enormous cash prizes every week um, that promo code Roto Hoops. Uh, if you use that you'll be able to get a uh, match on your deposit uh, if it's your first deposit that is on DraftKings.com so head over to DraftKings.com now again enter that promo code ROTOHOOPS for free entry DraftKings.com bigger events bigger winnings bigger millionaires enter ROTOHOOPS for free now at DraftKings.com DraftKings.com that's DraftKings.com Everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.